Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Overwhelming is the grace of God. As we sing of God's grace, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion together, it's a, it's a witness to God's grace. It's an illustration of God's grace to his church. Last Sunday, we're in Philippians chapter 3, and last Sunday we observed where Paul the apostle, he took up his pen to warn the church about the dangers of counterfeit Christianity. Now I'll tell you, someone stole my counterfeit money this week. I was going to show you again and offer to buy your lunch this afternoon, but the counterfeit money that our children made is gone. It's stolen. So if you see them trying to pass those $20 paper uh, copies off, then notify your local officials, okay? If only it was that easy to tell the difference between genuine and counterfeit. What is true and what is fake. Discernment is always essential, loved ones, as we test the spirits and we evaluate the teaching and the teachers that come bringing the word of God. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is how we are made holy and made righteous is through his word. So our prayer is that we will hear the word, understand the word, and we will apply, we will obey the word. That's where we're safe. The word of God cuts deeply, it cleanses, and it heals us. And I know even last Sunday, that message would undoubtedly cut deeply across a segment of our society. There would be many who would be angered by that who would want to retaliate with, you don't love me, you hate me because you said what I agree with or what I subscribe to, it goes counter to Scripture and that God will judge me for that. But I will tell you this, Proverbs 27 and verse 6, it says it this way and it will come on the screen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And right now in our generation, there are many, many people who are kissing and they are the enemy to children and to individuals and to everything that God loves and has ordained and is beautiful. We have an enemy and he's the liar of all liars. And if the church will not lovingly stand for the truth of God's word, who will? If we will not shine the light in the darkness, who's coming? Who's going to do that? Hollywood? Media? Music industry? This is the church, and this is, and I pray, hear me now, if we love people, we will warn them. But we will warn them in love. And we will not forget who we once were and that Christ came and redeemed us and he is the only thing good about us. That is a posture of humility, but it's also a posture 
of great stability and fervency. Paul the Apostle himself, he was leveled by the gospel. When he met the Lord Jesus, and we're going to read that today a little bit later, it cut him to the deepest part of his soul. It changed him completely from the inside out. And religion cannot do that, loved ones. Let me ask you the question before we even begin this morning. What is your testimony regarding the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you say? What have you said in your heart, with your mouth, with your life about who Jesus is? Do you remember living apart from him? Do you, live in, do you remember living without the gospel and according to your own ways? Do you remember when someone brought you the gospel and they shared with you the word of God and then your eyes were opened or maybe that will happen today by the grace of God? This message to know Christ will help us each to discern our own true standing before God. Do I, do we know about Jesus? Or do we know Jesus? That's the question. There are many people who know about Jesus, but they do not know the Lord. Jesus said that, Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. And I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So the last thing we want to do if we love people is to prop them up to the judgment, to make them comfortable on a, on a camp prayer, on a VBS thing, on a, all my friends were saying it, my sister, my brother, they were praying the prayer, I prayed the prayer, but there's been no heart change. No. Whoever has been changed in their heart, their life changes. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They listen for me. So Philippians chapter three, and to get this context, because each of these connecting words, uh, it's, it's very challenging to break this up for where do we stop on a sermon and go into the next part? Because Paul is connecting it all together. So in verse uh, one of chapter three, this is where we studied last week. Finally, my brothers, now then, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, and he's talking about the false teachers. Look out for the evildoers, evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, compared to everybody else around me, blameless. Today's study, but. But. Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So what does it really mean to know Christ? That's the question we want to unpack today. What does it mean to know Christ? Do I know Christ? I want everyone who is under the sound of my voice today or in the future listening to the YouTube or podcast or on our webpage, however you're hearing, that's the question we must all ask. Do I know Christ? What does that actually mean? By God's grace, only a genuine Christian can say these four things from this passage this morning. So this is what we want to unpack. It's by the grace of God. A Christian who is genuine can say, and this is what we will fill in from our text. A Christian is able to say, I have repented of my sin and self-righteousness, false righteousness, It's past tense. A Christian says, I have repented of my sin. I remember when I was standing in my own self-righteousness, my own religious tradition. I thought I was fine, and then someone shared the gospel with me, and it cut me to the heart, and I repented of my sin. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. James Montgomery Boyce, he gives a helpful explanation here about this word, but, that connects these sections here. He said, but, Paul's, you know, the the opening of verse 7, but, whatever gain, he said, but marks Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. When Paul first saw Jesus and learned what God's righteousness was, he thought before this that he had attained righteousness by keeping the law. But when he saw Christ... He knew that all his righteousness was as filthy rags. But whatever gain I had. So genuine believers, all right, genuine followers of Christ, this is what we have done. This is what we, letter A, we admit. We have a sin problem. We're not excusing it anymore. We're not, but they are worse than I am. I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I try. Why do this and I do that? No, we admit, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Right? Remember that old song? Not my brother, not my sister. It's me. I have a problem. Now, don't say amen too loud to that, all right? Unless you're saying that, applying it to yourself. That would be my family like, amen, he's finally getting honest. (laughs) Gains and losses, all right? This is what Paul is doing here. So for all the financial gurus out here. You know, those of you who love the spreadsheets, usually there's one in a marriage. And then there's the other one in the marriage, right? Am I right on this or am I wrong? Or nobody even wants to tread onto this water. Like, we got somebody who loves the Excel, the spreadsheets, and here's the gains, and here's the income, here's the expenditures, and usually one person in a relationship or in a company is like, here we are, and other people are like, it's all right, it's going to be fine, woohoo. 
and away we go, all right? So welcome to the ledger this morning. You're like, oh man, what a day to come. It's raining and we're going to talk. The ledger, yeah. But Paul does this in a way where gains and losses, okay? And so he opens the window of before he met Christ, this is how he was analyzing his life. This is how he was putting the ledger, gains, losses. And we went through this last week as he was trying to measure up to the holiness of God. And these, this is what he put on that side. And we just came out of that study. Religious rituals. I was circumcised the eighth day. But that didn't make him right with God. Maybe we say things like, well, I was baptized as an infant. Oh, I've taken communion. I went through confirmation at my church. I'm, I'm a member. Some people say, well, I don't eat pork. Or I you know, go through a, a season in Lent and I abstain from certain foods. None of that will commend you, make you right with God. Ethnicity, oh, I'm a people of Israel. We talked about it last week. Your color of skin does not make you more pleasing or more displeasing to the Lord because we're all descendants from Adam. It's the heart that God is concerned with, our position, our rank, our standing. Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, but he had to walk away from that. Traditions, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. My parents, they, they had me there for everything religious. Best schools, all of that. My dad was a deacon. My dad was a, I was a deacon. I was this, I was that. I'm in the ministry. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor's kid. None of that makes us right with God. None of those positions or traditions or rule keeping, keeping it all, memorizing the scripture, quoting the scripture, zeal for God. Oh, I persecuted the church. I was doing God a favor running all these followers of the way, even to their death and obedience to the law. Everybody around me would have said, I wish I could be like that guy. But the Lord didn't say that. Not one hint of that. And then there's after Christ. You see, before Christ, Paul would have said in the loss column, he would have said, all, all of this is a, is a loss. I would, I, he chased down people. Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, oh, that's, that's a loss. I want Everybody that identifies with him, his gospel that Stephen preached to him as he held those coats for his stoning, his church, he did everything he could to persecute the church. Grace, Saul of Tarsus had no use for grace. Law, law, law. But when he met Christ, he finally came to realize what Isaiah was prophesying, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, that we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like, and this is the most graphic term in Hebrew, bloodied garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. No doubt Paul knew that verse. But he didn't apply that verse to himself. Because I'm a Hebrew. He was circumcised. I've done all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the law. I'm a Pharisee. Until he met Jesus. And he was blinded by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he realized none of that can save me. None of that can cleanse me. And so then Paul moves into after Christ. What moves is the column that 
This is now a gain to him. It's Jesus, it's his gospel, it's his church, it's grace. And now Paul will spend his life and be spent and even die for that and say it's in the gain column. And then what does he put in the, uh, in the loss column? Everything else. Everything else goes in the loss column. Everything that I was depending on to commend me to God, I sold it all. And I bought the gospel, which was paid for, by the way by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, isn't this what, Ma- what, what uh, Matthew recorded that Jesus taught? Matthew 13, look at verse uh, 44. The Jesus teaching this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, okay, that's what Paul is writing about. In his joy, he didn't have that before Christ. He goes and sells all that he has. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, Hebrew of the Hebrews, all of that, keeping the law, rule following, all that, zealous. I sold it all, and I'll take Jesus. He buys the field. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, that's the gospel, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Love of family, love of career, safety, health, wealth, happiness, contentment, all of that, I sold it all. Give me Jesus. Give me Christ and give me Christ alone. That's what happened to Saul of Tarsus that changed him to the Apostle Paul. We have to admit that we're, I have a sin problem. I'm really good at finding out everybody else's sin problems. Like, oh, let me tell you, here's this, their sin problem. I have to admit that I have a sin problem. Then we have to believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. We have to believe. We have to take it at face value. What does God say about Jesus? He's written it in his word. Jesus is our only hope. Knowing Jesus is what Paul says, the surpassing worth. Or you can say it's the greatest thing. It's greatest value. There's nothing, there's no one better or greater than Jesus. What does the Bible say about this Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the beloved son of God? This was proclaimed at Jesus' baptism. This was proclaimed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 3, 17. After Jesus was baptized, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And you know the word amen? It simply means I agree with that. All right? When somebody says amen, they're, not, they're just not trying to make sure their neighbors are awake. All right? They're saying I agree with that. So be it. That, that, that when we admit this, when we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, what the Father says who cannot lie about Jesus, Do I regard him as the beloved son of God? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17 and verse five, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's what Moses said. There's a prophet coming from among you like me. Listen to him. 
hear him. Same thing God says. He is not only the beloved son of God, but he's the resurrection and the life. The words that Jesus comforted Martha with, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And this doesn't stop with Martha and with Mary and with Lazarus, Lazarus in the first century. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Listen to me clearly loved ones. There is no mulligan for your life. There is no second chances once you die. He, listen to what Jesus said. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And this is the question. This is the preeminent question for us. Do you believe this? Do you agree with this? Are you resting your life on this truth of who Jesus is? He is the only way the truth and the life. He said this in John 14, verse six. He said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what do we want? Give me a thousand ways. If he gave a thousand ways, what would we say? Give me a thousand and one. The amazing reality is he made a way for you and for me, and I don't deserve a way to be reconciled to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so the apostles preached in Acts 4.12. This is how they took all that he taught them, all of the Old Testament, and they brought it to bear in a message in preaching, proclaiming, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, you know, not Hare Krishna, not Ron L. Hubbard, in no one else, not in you, Only in Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, and what's that word? Must be saved. This is is compelling. They weren't, I hope you can get around to doing this. They were stressing the truth that your soul, your eternity hangs in the balance and it all depends on the fulcrum of Jesus Christ. So Christians admit We have a sin problem. We believe what the Bible says about Jesus and we confess him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and we say it in our lifetime. We say the same thing about Jesus that God says. And once again, we're reminded of this command that Paul, he came to know this Christ and so he would write to the Romans, Romans chapter 10 and verse nine. These verses are very familiar with us. We remind ourselves often of these verses that Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, what's the promise? Saved. That's the question. Are you saved? Have you been born from above? For with the heart one believes, Paul says, and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What is he simply saying? That if I believe something in my heart, if I, if I love my wife in my heart, it's going to make it out of my, my mouth and my life. I'm going to confess it. I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. I don't want anybody to know. Okay, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody that you really love your wife. If I know Christ, if I've been loved by Christ, everything is going to change from the inside out. And what I believe inside is going to make it out into my lips and to my actions. So let me ask you the question then. Have you? 
Have you repented of your sins and self-righteousness? I pray that you have. This is an opportunity. A Christian, number two, says this, I have relinquished my life to Christ. To relinquish, resigned. I've given over my life, my kingdom, my desires, my plans, my will, my dreams, and it's all yours, Jesus. I will stop fighting the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I will bow my life to him. Have you said that? Paul says in the second part of verse 8 there, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. You ever wonder when people blaspheme the name of Christ and they say, for Christ's sake, do they even know they're quoting scripture in the opposite intention? That Paul says, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And this word rubbish is a trash pile. It's a dunghill. We have around our house what's called Tootsie Row Patrol from the little guy that goes out in the grass. I did not bring that for an illustration this morning. You can all thank me, okay? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants it near them. You want it gone, and on Tuesday trash day comes, I'm like, oh, there it goes. It's gone. We don't hang around and, and moralize it. No, can we get rid of it as far away and as fast as possible? That's what Paul is saying. All of my lists that I used to count as gains, they're equated to the dung pile. They stink. They're polluted garments. His life had been changed in order that I may gain Christ. Go with me in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, just back to the, to the left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul is here just to be refreshed in our minds. Maybe you haven't even heard how this number one enemy of the church became the number one missionary of the church and left everybody speechless. What happened to that guy? Even Christians. <laughs> you sure he's coming to, oh, sure, he's joining the prayer meeting. Right. Does he have a pen and paper out? Is he taking pictures? Like, I, know, I know they didn't have cameras or pens and paper. <laughs> But let's get real. These people were scared to death of this guy. They thought he was just, you know, being a terrorist. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 9 in Acts, but, Paul, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to, and this is what we, this is our heritage, Christians were called the followers of the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they weren't called Christians yet, not till Antioch later on. But they were followers of the way, or they're followers of the way, and he went looking for them, men or women, he didn't care, no respecter of persons there. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? This is interesting to me. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who, are, who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. 
So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. (laughs) Get ready. Use me, right? Lord, use me. All right, that's what he prayed. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named, oh, please don't say it, Lord, please don't say it, Saul. No! For behold, he is praying. I bet he is. Verse 12. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem? And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, don't you love that? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately what happened to this guy? He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to, here we go, welcome to your new life, brother Paul. Kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates and, uh, day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But here we love this guy. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, the church, multiplied. 
Did you hear, back to Philippians 3, did you hear everything in the column that he just described to the Philippians? Everything that I once prided myself in that was in the gains column, it all got moved in one moment over to the loss column. And in one moment, everything that I formerly regarded as loss and worthless and rubbish immediately got moved into the prima spot of my life and it will never be taken away that Jesus is the Lord and my God and my King. And I once tried to kill everybody in the church and now I will ultimately be killed planting churches everywhere I go. This is the power of the gospel. Now listen, loved ones, the gospel demands a heavy loss. The gospel demands a heavy loss and I cannot negotiate this for you. I cannot barter on behalf of God to reduce his demands down to where now it comes in and it's acceptable to you. It doesn't work like that. He spoke and the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies were placed into thin air. He holds it all together by his word and people actually think that that one day when I'm before God, I have something to say to him. You can't look at his son and your vision survive, nor can I. May this peel back the foolishness of thinking and living like that, like it happened for Saul of Tarsus. My polluted works of righteousness are now equated to the collections that I described to you from the Tootsie Roll Patrol. Trash. Oh, and Paul suffered. He suffered the loss. Think about the guy. He was used to rolling in in an entourage. And how now, uh, I prayed and I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here you go. Don't don't get out of the basket. Not that big of a basket. Hang on, the rope. There he goes, there he goes. He's going out at night out of a hole in the wall in a basket. Off in the night. The guy that left was radically different than the guy that came in. Nobody wanted to follow this guy anymore if they didn't know Christ. He suffered the loss of his status, his family, his safety, his comfort, the community of the Jewish people. They turned into how can we kill the guy? Ultimately, he would lose his head. He would lose his life for the sake of the cross, the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Loved ones, it is impossible to serve two masters. And Paul found that out. And he said, you know what? I'm done serving King me. My life will be devoted to King Jesus. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 24, no one, no one can serve two masters for the, either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's an extreme price to pay. It's a heavy loss. It's surrendering our life. And this is what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, and the word is cross, but it's, it's death. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it, now we're back to this terminology again, aren't we? What, is it in the, Loss column or is it in the gain column? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and over here in the loss column is his soul? He forfeits his soul. Or what 
shall a man give in return for his soul? And let me tell you on those words right there in the day and age we live, everything is pushing to drive us to commercialism, entertainment, comfort, be who you want to be, express your truth and be everything that you want to be. And it's all small and it all has an expiration date on it. And the Bible says it's like a cloud passing. That's our life's expiration date. Vapor. Here and then gone. Taken from sight. The gospel demands a heavy loss, but listen, the gospel delivers the highest gain. I know some of you are looking at your uh, portfolios here lately. Your retirement savings, 401ks. Maybe you've stopped looking at them. Never mind. I'll just keep working for however much longer. If you're in Christ, it's important to be a good steward of the resources that he has blessed us with. But this isn't our final stop. This world isn't our ultimate home. We were born with nothing. We came in naked, we're going out naked. We don't, we don't take anything with us. The only thing that we take is all that we have put into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've given to him. Christ's perfect work of righteousness is gained when we turn from our sin, from our self-righteousness, and we trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And Paul, we were in Romans 10 a little bit ago, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That invitation If you're here this morning and you're like, well, does that include me? (laughs) Hello, everyone. You can put your name in there. If you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be, what's the promise? Saved, rescued, delivered, forgiven, adopted. So have you, that's the question, have you relinquished your life to Jesus Christ? Because if you have, then you can say what Christians can say, I rest in the finished work of Christ. I rest by faith in the finished work of Christ. Perfect joy and perfect rest is only found in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't find it in a promotion, in an accomplishment. What Isaac said, a PhD, a PhD, I can't say it like he said. None of those things are wrong. But if you're finding your identity in that, if you derive your value and worth from that, it's a misplaced value and you will lose it. Family, we love our family, our loved ones, spouses, children, parents. But this life is short. And if our worth, our value, our joy is placed in anyone or anything other than Christ, it's not if we will lose it, it's when we will lose it. Paul said, verse 9, and be found in him. Be found in him. Like he found me. He chased me down. 
He kicked the wall down of my vision, blinded me, and then he sent people after me. And Paul would say the first in line, I would say, and everyone would say, that was a reckless love. That was a, why would you ever do that, Lord? Save that guy so that you and I don't have anybody in our, in our prayer list that we say, that person's too far gone. Oh, that child's beyond all hope. Oh, I'm beyond all hope. You don't know what I've done. Uh, we just read it, Acts 9, read it again. I know what the Lord has done and what he will do for you. I remember... I remember the, the illustration a pastor was trying to give to just help people understand what does it mean to fully have full assurance of your salvation. And he mentioned a camp that I had been to in Wisconsin, Camp Shatek. And he said when I was there and he had family there, they were there in the wintertime. Uh, I think they were there for Christmas to be with his wife's parents. And he said, I went out onto the ice, onto that lake. And he said, I was walking out on the ice and, I, and it was creaking and cracking and shifting. And he said, I walked out on the ice and I just heard it popping. And he said, I was just like easing my way out on the ice. And about that time, a four-wheel drive came down the hill. Boom, just went right out to go ice fishing. And he said, I'm, I'm sitting over here, you know, oh, okay. And he said, then I put my full weight down. Like if the, if the ice will hold that guy, that ice will hold me. And that was a helpful illustration that I've kept with me for all these years to pass on to you if you're struggling, have I put my full weight down on Christ or am I still like, well, I, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I try not to do bad things, I'm trying, and, and, and I guess I believe in Jesus and I, and I try to read his word and I try to do these things. Have you put your full weight down? Have you been found in him? Because when we are adopted and we are found in him, then it all shifts, all the energy, all the direction of how is this ever going to get done, it shifts. And through us, the Lord brings us to completion what he promised, Philippians 1.6. He'll finish the work and we join him in that process. We aren't the, the power, the source, the energy for that ever being accomplished. He is because we're found in him instead of trying to work our way to get right with him. Never will happen. Just like if someone is adopted and they are then found in the family, not by their own doing, but by someone loving them and adopting them, saying, we will make you our own. Now, because you're a member of the family, let's make our bed. Now, because you're a member of the family, let's pick up our plates after we eat and let's take them where they need to go. Because you're a member of the family, we got a little dog, there's a job to do. Yep, you're part of the family. It's very different than if you want to stay in this family, if you want to be part of this family, then you got, you're the lowest man on the totem pole, out you go. Pay your dues. No. Are you part of the family of God? Have you been found in him? not having a righteousness of my own, Paul says, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends not on works, but on faith. Loved ones, there is no hope, there is no help ever coming from works righteousness. We cannot keep the law of God perfectly for the entirety of our, li of our lives. Sin is breaking God's law and we have all broken the Ten Commandments. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 49, 7. Truly no man can ransom another 
or give to God the price of his life. So I can't, I can't ransom my children. I can't ransom a spouse. You can't either. Verse 8, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Verse 9, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. What are we going to give to God that will make up for our sin debt to him? It's all his. We're in trouble. That's a very bleak picture. James chapter 2 and verse 10. And I've used this illustration in the time past, all right? The law. Uh, you can go to the next, the next scripture, James 2.10. All right, and, and in this, okay, we teach this to our kids and we, we learn this. We've gone through this in our New City Catechism. Can I do it with not dropping it? Okay, all these commandments, put God first all the time in every way. We're all done right there. For your whole life, don't drop that ball. Number two, no idols. Don't bow down to idols. Number three, who's got it? Number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath holy. Honor the Lord on his day for your entire life. (laughs) I'm at four and I'm already about to start dropping them here. Uh, Number five, honor your father and mother. Okay, we're all toast, and if you don't believe it, we'll just call your mom and dad, right? They're still alive. (laughs) They're going to be like, oh, let me tell you. I got some stories on. Six, no murder. Most people, I've never killed anybody, and Jesus said, if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, they cut you off, and you you waved with one finger instead of all of them. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Oh, yeah, never. And Jesus says, if you've ever looked with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, and God sees that. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, the lying nine. Oh, that's a good one I struggled with as a a young man. I'd lie when the truth sounded better. Lord, forgive me. Just stupid lies. Yeah, I would get caught. It's provided endless illustrations for parenting, let me tell you. Number 10, this under the surface, only detected by God and at times us that we are covetous. Oh, look how beautiful they are. Oh, look at the promotion they got. Oh, look at their children. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at the other. Oh, look at my friend in that church, and they've been this long, and they built that building already, and here we... This is under everything. I just wish I could be God. Now, I'm cheating. I'm holding these, and I'm just going to put these all back. There's no way, because I don't want them floating around when we go to communion. But can you imagine trying to do anything holding these for an entire life? And that would be much easier to do than actually keep God's law. And the thing is that people actually think, oh, I just have to keep the Ten Commandments, and I'll be all right. That's not the point of the Ten Commandments. That's in the ocean, and all I need is someone throws you an anchor. It doesn't save you. It condemns you. It damns us. It tells us we need a Savior. I need to be rescued because I've broken all of those and more. 
Then came Jesus. And he lived the life we could never live. And he died the death that I deserve to die for breaking all of those commands. And then he rose from the dead and we remember him. And that's what Paul is talking about. There's no hope. There's no help. And James says, if you break in, you keep the whole law. Oh, I'm keeping the whole law. But you fail in one point. Then you've shattered the entire thing. You're not holy. You're not sinless. You and I are not God. And we will stand before him one day. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawless, lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. But listen, as the lights are going out through scripture on someone who doesn't know Christ, listen to what Paul writes in, Psalm, in Romans 4, verse 7. He's quoting Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Covered in what? The blood of Christ, cleansed, not just covered, but even cleansed and washed away. There's no hope. There's no help in works righteousness, but listen, there is perfect hope and there's perfect, abundant help in Christ's righteousness. That's the point of this message. That became the point of Paul's life is he would preach everywhere he would go. Who are you trusting in this morning? If it's anyone or anything other than Jesus, it's a misplaced trust. God's antidote to our legalism is his grace in Christ. Yeah, when you're sick with something, you want you help. What's the antidote? You bit by, bitten by a snake? Is there an antidote for this? Get it to me quickly. Well, we all are infected with this disease of sin, the antidote to legalism, is the grace of God. Paul writes in Galatians 3, for all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not by abide, does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, that's all of us. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So what is it that can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. We give him our sin, we give him our shame, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. He treated Jesus the way we should have been treated and he treats us the way Jesus should have always been treated. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. So are you resting by faith in the finished work of Christ this morning? Can you say that? And lastly, Christians say this, I resolve to know Christ more and to make him known. Let that be the theme of my life, to know Christ more and to make him known. It doesn't end with our salvation. It didn't end with Paul. Oh, I got my sight back and I know Jesus. Whoa, there it is. No, that was just the beginning. The gun went off. His Christian walk began that moment. When we are redeemed, when we are adopted into the family of God, we're just getting started. 
So I resolved to know Christ more and to make him known. Stephen Lawson says it this way. He said, to know Christ means far more than merely to know about him intellectually or historically. To know Christ means to know him experientially, intimately, and personally. Do you know him? And do you want to know him more and more? I want to know more of Christ's person. And this is what Paul is saying that when we come to faith in Christ, then we're now living with this everlasting life and we're given a divine purpose. And Paul says, I want to know more of Christ's person. He says that I may know him. I don't just want to know about him. I want to truly know him. When Ginger and I married, almost it's been a while ago now, 27 years ago, I knew her, but the way that I know her now is very different. You know, Stephen and Amanda getting ready to get married and they, they know each other, they love each other, but give them time and they, they've heard that marriage can be wonderful and you work through difficulty and challenges and you can enjoy life together, but they're gonna want to experience that. And as a church family, we want that for our marriages. I want that for every marriage to know what God's grace and God's mercy has done in our relationship. I want that for every single marriage. I thought I knew a lot when we got married. And I heard older people say, oh, I never loved my wife like I know I love her now and I'm growing in love. And I'm like, how is that possible? That's just because I was dumb and young, all right? I had a lot to learn. We want that to resonate in all lives. But even when I came to know Christ, oh, I knew of him, but not like I know him now, but I want to know him more. I don't know him well enough yet. I want to know his word more. I want to know his power. I want to witness the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul is saying, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I've heard that Christ was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and you know what? It's all true, and I want to see that. I've seen the power of the risen Christ change me. I've seen his power change other people. I believe in that because I've experienced it. I've read it in the scriptures, but I can tell people with confidence because I know what God has done in, inside of me and how he's changed me and given me victory over areas that I didn't have victory over, and I trust him, and I'm growing in him, and I want that for others. I've heard about the power of Christ making a way for our missionary partners and buildings are built and ministries expanded and lives are changed. I want us as a church to know that and experience that. And Paul would say, I want to experience the reality of his presence in suffering. Paul says, and I'm going to share in his sufferings. He's not running from that. Share in these sufferings. He didn't run from it, but he didn't seek out suffering. But he knew this, God is sovereign over all trials and all testing. We just sang that this morning. All things together for good, for our good and for his, for his glory. So Paul experienced the power of Christ's resurrection. He had the joy in suffering, even where this church was planted, Acts 16, when he's in prison singing with Silas. And the church is born that night. The, the author of Hebrews says this, and it was true, and it still is true. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our money, our health, our happiness connected to circumstances, it will all leave us. The Lord has given a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, he said. And we know this with Paul, I will ultimately be made perfect like him in his death. 
becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may reach, attain, complete the resurrection from the dead. Get there, arrive. It's the idea of I was on a destination and I pulled in the driveway <sighs> home. Whew, thank you, Lord. That's what he's saying. I'm going to reach that, but not by me doing it. He will accomplish that in me. May this be our prayer today, loved ones. God, I surrender all of me to you and your ways. Followed by a confidence in his word and his work that we can tell the Lord, thank you, Lord. You will bring to completion what you've started. That first moment I believed, you will finish there is no lasting joy outside of the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? There is no lasting joy outside of the kingdom of God. None. Bow your life to King Jesus and followers of Christ. This is what we say right here. I have repented of my sin and self-righteousness. I have relinquished my life to Christ. I now rest by faith in the finished work of Christ, and I resolve to know him and to make him known. Maybe you're here, and you say, I haven't yet crossed that line then why not today do you know Christ or do you need to know Christ today will you just bow your heads Father oh I thank you for your word I thank you for your gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ who made a way for sinners, unworthy sinners. And I thank you that I can stand in all the confidence necessary to offer salvation freely to anyone who's listening. For those who have been saved, we thank you for your salvation. And we want those who have not yet been saved to be saved today that they would admit their own sin that they would believe in the lord jesus christ and confess their sin and confess jesus as lord right now this moment it's only possible by your spirit and we ask you to do the impossible lord change us and make us more like jesus we pray amen Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.